Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today, on this day when we celebrate St. Michael and All Angels Day, is from the first chapter of Hebrews, verse 14. We're speaking of angels, the writer of Hebrews says, Are they not all ministering spirits that are sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Invisible friends. Most parents are familiar with what invisible friends are, or at least many parents are familiar with invisible friends. As Robin McClure puts it in a reputable magazine for parents, quote, so your child's best friend looks just like her, eats the same foods, is in her same daycare, and shares the same interests. Well, that's great so far. The only problem is she's a figment of your child's imagination. So what do you do when your child has one of these invisible friends? What do you do? Is it something to be concerned about? Is the problem perhaps something that needs correcting? Is it symptomatic of some deep-seated, deep-rooted emotional problem that has to be addressed? That's what some parents would understandably think when their child has and has adopted some kind of invisible friend. The experts say relax. Having an invisible friend is a normal part of a child's development and can signify very active imagination. Well, how's that, the cautious parent asks, and the article goes on and it says, well, researchers say that pretend friends can help young children take the perspective of another individual and paving the way for real-life interactions with kids of all different types of personalities, characters, and behavioral actions. An invisible friend lets a child role-play scenarios and even project his own needs and his desires or feelings and thoughts in a safe and a non-threatening way. So they would say, of course, there's no problem having invisible imaginary friends. Perhaps your child has one of them, perhaps two. Perhaps you had them as a child. Now, if you still have them, give me a call and we'll talk about that sometime. But let me be a bit more specific about that. It would be the invisible imaginary friends that we'd be concerned with. If you had invisible imaginary friends as an adult, that would be reason to be concerned. But you do have, and I do have, and your children do have, and we all indeed have invisible friends who aren't at all imaginary. Invisible friends whose existence and whose service to God and to his people is what we celebrate today on this St. Michael and All Angels Day and the hymns that we've sung and will sing and the lessons that we have heard and the sermon that we today hear. Invisible friends, angelic friends that are not at all imaginary but are as real as you are. They're as substantive and real as I am, a created reality as I am, the mighty angels of sacred scripture, the holy and the formidable creatures of God that are described in our text for this morning as ministering spirits who have been sent out by God to render service for the sake of those who shall inherit salvation. Indeed, commenting on the 19th Psalm, 
And the famous words of the psalm, where the psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. There's a theologian, a good old theologian of the last century, a Lutheran theologian, who writes this, and he says, At night, when we gaze at the heavens studded with the stars, great and glorious and beautiful, we're reminded, he says, that Scripture has also opened to our spiritual view a vista of the blessed holy angels who are even more majestic and more glorious and more beautiful than all the stars. They shine, he says, like the stars around us. But unlike the stars, they're not simply disinterested spectators in their silent watches at night. They are rather, he says, ministering spirits sent by God as evidence of his presence and his deep concern for our eternal welfare. We may not, indeed we do not, because of the limitations of our mortal vision, see the armed squadron of angelic beings which have so often encircled us and come to us in our time of need, and we haven't even been aware of it. But what Christian who is at all familiar with Scripture can deny the reality of the angels of God? You can't. They're there throughout the pages of Scripture, and who among us has never been the beneficiary of their blessed work as they penetrate that veil between the supernatural realm of their dwelling to work God's will in this natural material world where we are so restricted by its physical laws that govern our use of space and time. Angels are as real as we are. And hundreds of times the scriptures mention their existence. Scriptures mention so often their work in our world, angelic interventions that impact our lives. Created by God. Isn't that what scripture says they were? For by him, scripture says, everything was created, everything visible and invisible, even as we confess in our creeds. Created, therefore, by God, those invisible part of God's creation, invisible to us. So angels are among the invisible things that God has made, and they must have been among the first of God's created things, because Scripture presents them as already being present at the time of the creation of so many other things in our world. Remember what God said to Job when Job was complaining about different things? He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who worked out its dimensions? Surely, Job, you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what was its footing set? Or who laid out its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? So scripture clearly indicates. God tells us that they were there already during those first days of creation, sometime in those first days of creation, God created them all. Existing from the foundation of the world from those first days, earth is not their home, and they are not therefore subject to our bodily limitations. In fact, as our text for today says, they don't have bodies. They're ministering spirits spiritual beings who do not intrinsically possess material flesh and blood and bones even as we have though they can indeed 
they have taken on material form to appear to mortal men and women from time and time. And thus angels appeared unto Abraham and Sarah, remember, by the oaks of Mamre in Genesis chapter 18. They appeared unto Lot and unto his family, delivering them from the wickedness of Sodom in Genesis 22. And they manifested themselves in the form, invisible form, to Jacob in Genesis 32 that says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when he saw them, he said, This is indeed God's host. The same angelic host of God that appeared to shepherds at night over Bethlehem's field as we celebrate year after year. After the angel Gabriel, remember, had manifested himself in physical form to the Virgin Mary, announcing that the Christ would be born of her. And did not angels appear in fleshly form to the women who came to the empty tomb of our Lord on Easter morn? There they were, St. Luke says, in appearance as two men suddenly standing near women in dazzling apparel, angels in the form of men. And they said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And later, two angels, angels appearing unto all of the disciples gathered on the mount where they see our Lord ascending into heaven. Two angels there after our Lord who has ascended, two angels saying to the men, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the heavens? This Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven is going to come in just the same way that you've watched him go. Angels of God. Angels of God who at times have taken on temporary material form that they may be seen by man, and yet they are, Scripture tells us, ministering spirits, as we've heard. They are sexless beings who cannot, therefore, procreate as we do. Their number was fixed at creation. None has been added to their number, none subtracted from it. There are no more, no less than there ever has been. And yet, how many angels there are. Scripture also reveals that to us. The Old Testament declares that their numbers are thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand standing before God. Even thousands, it says, came down on Mount Sinai to confirm the holy presence of God when he gave the law of Moses. And in the New Testament, the Apostle John says, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels about the throne, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands upon thousands, myriads upon myriads of them, an expression that denotes humanly uncountable throngs. Even as the writer of Hebrews says that there is innumerable company of angels. And our Lord Jesus, remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's being arrested. And his disciples are about to defend him, but he says to put their swords away because he says, don't you know that I could appeal to my Father in heaven? And he would immediately put at my disposal more than 12 legions or more than 72,000 angels. Thousands of them. And they're indescribably mighty. Angels, King David says, who excel in strength. Celestial beings, so mighty that it only took one angel to destroy all the firstborn 
of Egypt in the days of Moses. And in one night, one angel, one, slew 185,000 Assyrians in a camp in the days of Isaiah. And in one day, one angel had such great power over the flaming fires of the furnaces of Nebuchadnezzar, into which three friends of Daniel that we heard about in the Old Testament lesson today, three friends of Daniel had been placed, and yet the strength and the might of even just one angel was such that not even one hair upon their bodies was singed, nor, quote, had the smell of fire even passed upon them, the scriptures say. And on one day, one angel had such powers that simply by stirring the waters of Bethesda in the days of the disciples, he was able to heal anybody of whatever affliction and disease he had, Scripture says. One angel who on one night appeared to the Apostle Peter in Jerusalem jail and with one stroke caused the chains to fall off Peter's hands and then led them through a locked iron gate that opened before them as they went out. What incredible powers God has invested in these incredible creatures. These ministering spirits, our text says, sent out by God to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Now one might ask, why angels? Why does God choose to work through angels? God, who is almighty, really doesn't need the service of angels to carry out his will. He doesn't need angels to accomplish his commands. He spake, scripture says. He simply spake, and it was done. Let there be. And light was created. He commanded, and the world stood fast. So why does he work through the ministry of angels at all? Why does he use them, create them, employ them? Luther says, It's indeed true that God could preserve us and could protect us from the devil and from all adversaries by himself without the aid of angels. But then it's also true that he could create human beings without the aid of parents, as he did in the case of Adam and Eve. He could rule countries and peoples without princes. But he chooses to use princes and kings. He could cause brightness to shine without the sun and the stars, even as he did in the very beginning. And he could give us bread without the need of plowing or other work. But he doesn't do things in this way, Luther says. No, he has ordained that always one creature should serve another. That one creature in being created in our vocations in creation should serve another. Let us therefore learn that God protects and helps us through his angels and that we should simply be grateful to him for it. Grateful to God that through the agency of his holy angels that we so often have been blessed, that every one of you is blessed in ways that you don't even know. But it's not the desire, the purpose of angels that you would know what they've done for you, but simply that they would be able to serve you because that's what their creator has created them to do. And whether our years have been as many as those of old Zechariah who was visited with good news by the angel Gabriel, 
Will our years be as few as those little children that our Lord Jesus set down before the disciples as an example of how they should be? And he said, their angels in heaven are always beholding the face of my Father which is in heaven. The angels of God have done far more for you and for me than any of us can possibly know or imagine. And as we heard in today's gospel reading, nothing on earth indeed brings angels greater joy than to hear a sinner like you or me confess our sins unto God and profess that Jesus Christ indeed is the one who has saved us from those sins. And thus Jesus said in today's gospel, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And thank God that in an ironic sort of way, our service even then unto the angels is that we by God's grace do repent. Rejoice, O angels of heaven, because we do repent by God's great grace which gives us repenting faith. We do indeed confess that our sins nailed your king, O angels, to a cross of human making, of our making. And we know that you could do nothing. You, O angels, could do nothing but hover over and above that cross with swords drawn by the, but held back by the command of God. And so, as we sing on every Palm Sunday, ride on, O Christ in majesty, the angel armies of the sky look down with sad and wandering eyes to see the approaching sacrifice. They could do nothing, for our sake did nothing. We confess that the magnitude of our sin required the most magnanimous sacrifice of God the Father, namely the life of his very own dear son there on the cross in human flesh subsisting, dying to save the souls of sinners while the angels had to look on in awestruck resignation. What love those angels must have thought. What love God has for these sinful mortals that he should even become one of them in order to bear their sins, to become sin for them, to die for them all. What love he must have and how unbelievable it must have been for all of the angels that any one of us mortals would impenitently deny and, and reject all that God has done in his Son for us. No wonder there is such great rejoicing by the angels of God over one sinner who repents and by grace-created faith receives what Christ has done. Such great joy that these guardians of souls will not rest, but they will, as our text for today says, labor tirelessly with angelic zeal throughout our lives to invisibly guard and to protect us until at last, at life's end, at life's end, at your life's end, here on earth, they perform their final duty to you, their final angelic duty, and they carry your soul home to heaven. That's the ultimate joy of these heavenly friends, that they can bear before their Lord the souls of those that they have so long protected. Luther puts it this way, that angels are with us is very sure. No one should doubt it. And it is certain not only that they are waiting for our coming into our future fatherland, but also prepare us for it. They are, they are truly around us in this life 
providing for us, guiding our affairs. And therefore, he says, we should learn that our best and our most loyal friends here on earth, whose service of friendship far exceeds even those of our visible friends, are God's angels, our holy and our heavenly, our invisible friends. And so it is that the great Reformation hymn writer has written, My soul and body I commend, and to thy hands thine angels send to guide me home and cheer my heart when thou dost call me to depart. May it be so for each of us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.